Hey guys, before we get started, I want to let you notice that today's show is presented by Built Bar. These are healthy, delicious bars, 18 amazing flavors, including including six new ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, several more you can choose from. These are delicious. They're very chewy. They're like a dessert bar, but guess what? Everything that you want. Great protein, low in sugar, low in calories, really good. And right now you can go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKDOWN. You get $10 off your next order. LOCKDOWN, $10 off at BuiltBar.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, part of the Lockdown NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Otis from DNVR. Matt Mart doing some uh, load management today as he covers some of the other things around the NBA. I'm going to be taking you uh, on an interview today with one of my favorite people in the Denver media covering the Denver Nuggets from the Denver Post. It's Mike Singer. Mike, how are you doing? I'm great. I have uh, done my requisite film study <laughs> in preparation for the podcast, and I'm excited uh, to get into it. I love it. it. Um, do you watch the games multiple times? Are you one of the like? Are you doing that for playoff games for every game? What's sort of your workflow on that end? Oh, if I'm, it's kind of funny. If I'm struggling to to think of questions, or I'm struggling to think of things to write about. I'll rewatch games and just sort of hone in on players, on plays, on moments, on stretches. And then I'll ask Malone about it the next day, just simply because I don't know where else to go yeah. with it. Uh, for playoffs, you know, yesterday, thankfully, was an early game and uh, got the work done. And then for some odd reason, I decided to rewatch the game last <laughs> night uh, at like 10, 11 at night. Um so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. And during the playoffs, when everything is hyper-analyzed and, and you know, looked at from a, from a microscopic lens, I want to know what Malone and I want to know what the Nuggets coaches are thinking. And so I feel like I need to, to look at it on that same kind of level. I have to give you props and, and also my colleague Harrison because you two ask questions in every scrum. And I think I ask questions about once a month and it's not because it's for no other reason than I just can't think of questions. <laughs> like, I think that's its own skill. I mean, honestly, I think asking questions in a scrum is like a, a real skill people don't realize. Yeah, I, I feel an obligation to, of to course, be honest yeah, with you. you. Do. I really do. I really feel an obligation to, um, you know, we've talked about it before. We don't have like a ton of numbers in our, in our local media. And I think that if we are going to, build narratives, uh, have, you know, on the record quotes, establish some accountability. I, I think we have an obligation to ask every time I credit Harrison too, for having something in his bag, always ready uh, in the event that, uh, you know, one of the Nuggets PR guys goes, all right, guys, there's no hands up at the right, moment. Right, and then yeah, I scramble yeah, yeah. and I'm like, raise my hand, yeah, raise yeah. my hand. Yeah. It's easier like in practices and it's also easier in person. I mean, these, some of these zooms are, are just so funny. I saw Paul Millsap posted a picture of himself standing in front of the computer screen. So you saw the other view, like his view of what's going on. It's like, oh yeah, that's really weird. He's talking to a TV screen with nobody on it. I saw Right. And what's odd is I don't think that they've been including video. So right. it's just we're the voice of God coming through. <laughs> and another funny video I saw that, yes, that was me comparing myself to the voice of God. <laughs> um, and the other funny thing that I noticed, I saw a video. Uh, LeBron was doing one of those Zoom interviews and Anthony Davis was peering his head around right. the side yeah. of the screen. And 
and LeBron couldn't help himself. Like there's outside factors that, you know, as media people asking questions, we have no control over. And of course we have last night in Jamal Murray's video that he posted, the viral video of Donovan Mitchell just sitting there by his lonesome and, and Murray standing there, you know, peeking at him. I think that dropped 20, 30 minutes after the game. I mean, it was not that long after the game that that video w- that was released. And I'm thinking, man, some of these elements elements of the bubble that you don't think about until you kind of they're revealed to you are really weird. Of course, we've heard about the dining hall and all of this different stuff. Do you think that's going to become more of a factor going forward? I mean, right now, everybody's friends. Everybody's happy. They're playing on the slide. Game six, do or die, technical fouls. I mean, I think this... I think this can really lead to some interesting moments. I love it. Uh, You know, I think the hashtag that I'm creating right now is hashtag only in the bubble. Only in the bubble. Uh, Only things that would ever happen in this unique circumstance. Uh, All I pray is that there is elevator footage when Kristaps Porzingis and Marcus Morris are in the exact (laughs) same uh, elevator. That's all I want to see. I, I just want to see those interact. I thought we we were going to talk some nuggets here, but that I thought last night watching some of these other games that was so fun. I mean, Porzingis is the Michael Porter Jr. of that team, right? He's never been in this moment. This is a, he's is all new, and he just got suckered, man. That was that was a veteran suckering a star player on the other team who's inexperienced into doing something dumb and getting kicked out of a game. Yeah, that was fantastic. But then. Uh, to, to bring it back to the Nuggets, I actually just wrote this. I called it Michael Porter Jr.'s playoff indoctrination. Yeah. Uh, w- when I rewatched the game, he obviously hit those two transition threes. Doris Burke calls him. Kevin Durant asks, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, boy, we're, we're off and running. Uh, two minutes left in the first quarter. Uh, Nuggets are on offense. And Michael Porter Jr. makes a hard cut from the perimeter. Joe Ingles steps in front of him, takes a forearm yeah, yeah. to the neck, draws an offensive foul. Like, man. Like that's I asked Michael Malone about that today. It is that that is a playoff veteran taking advantage of a rookie and and giving him the business. Those are invaluable lessons. Obviously, they hurt yesterday, but like you know, those things are invaluable for Michael Porter to learn. Uh, and I love Michael Malone's um, perspective. The idea that this guy is a rookie. And last year when Jamal yeah. and Nicola went yep. through it, they were in their third and fourth years respectively. Whereas Michael Porter Jr. has fifty six games under his belt yeah and a lot of those games are four minutes you know i mean 56 even sort of overstates it it seems I, I it's feel. a great point i think he has like nine games under his belt really it's a great point aggregate nine yeah, aggregate nine um but if you throw out donovan mitchell and jamal murray maybe we'll circle back to them in a little bit i know they've been discussed ad nauseum i think over the last 24 hours but michael porter jr to me is the, the third most interesting player in the in yesterday's game because Michael Porter was the star of the bubble. He was a second team all NBA, not just like or all all bubble, not just like surprise guys, not this like that was not grading on a curve. That was second team out of everybody in the bubble. And you you see all the upside. I was excited. I know everybody that's watching, I think it's hard if you have any emotional investment at all not to be excited about it. Yesterday was that reminder that there's the regular season and there's the playoffs and they're like almost different sports. They're they're just so different. And little plays like you're talking about with Joe Ingles, one of those crafty little, you know, wily guys that knows all the tricks in the book. It felt like 48 minutes of that. I guess he wasn't on the court that long. But however many minutes he was on the court, it felt like it was nonstop him just stepping into traps or, you know, walking into situations where he's like, oh, wow, this is this is weird. What was sort of your just impression of him and and how big of a deal do you make of it that 
both the Jazz went at him nonstop when he was on the court and that he looked so over his head defensively in those moments. At least that's my takeaway. Right. Uh, look, I, like I said, I think those are invaluable minutes for him. I loved the confidence that he played with. He, he was asked after the game, did he have any nerves? He said, absolutely no nerves. That was apparent. He drains his first two, yeah. three-pointers. So I love that, that attitude coming into it. Uh, and maybe yesterday was somewhat of a, a smack in the face, somewhat of a realization. Um, and you know what? Does, does he get attacked like that if he wasn't the star of, of the seeding games? If he wasn't, you know, mm, on second team all question. bubble, do, do the Jazz pinpoint him and say, here's a potential weakness. We're going to exploit him. We're going to put him in high screen pick and roll. We're going to make him defend Joe Ingles, who, like you said, wily, crafty veteran. Um, and we're going to see if he can guard anybody on the perimeter. There was one moment where he was stuck on Jordan Clarkson out on an island on the perimeter. He barely bent his knees. Jordan Clarkson blows past him uh, for the basket. And those are the things that I know Michael Malone is going to highlight. He's going to say, listen, Mike, you need to get into an athletic stance. I know you're six foot 10. I know you have a you know long gait and a huge um, wingspan. Yeah. Like, if you're not prepared for this guy to move, then they're going to blow past you. So I, when I keep coming back to those moments, there was that third quarter moment where he lazily came to a pass. It was like a dribble handoff from Mason Plumley. Joe yep. Ingles pokes it yep. away, leads to a bucket on the other end. And you can't do anything at 75 to right. 80%. Right. Everything is that much more magnified. And another thing that Porter said yesterday is that they took away his open cuts, and they took away his second chance opportunities. Those are things that he yep. lives off yep. of. Are those open cuts, the, the the offensive rebounds that where he said he gets four to six easy points every single game off of. The Jazz plugged that up. So I think it was sort of a stark reminder. Uh, Porter goes, "Okay, this is a different game. Right. Like I need I, all, all my talk is valid. Where I've said I need to be more focused, but now I have tangible evidence that." Uh, I need to be as locked, more locked in than I've ever been, or, or else I'm going to get exposed. I think Michael Malone might also like this in another way. Maybe he doesn't like it right now, but I have to imagine that next training camp, next January, or I guess the, the months are going to be all thrown off, but game 30, game 50 next year, when Michael Malone is talking about defense and Michael Porter Jr. has 34 points, I think it might resonate a little bit more when Michael Porter is reminded that, yes, it maybe matters a little bit less against the Atlanta Hawks on a Tuesday in the regular season. But come the playoffs, if I don't know how to defend every type of action and make every type of read, I'm going to be out there by myself and the spotlight's on me and everybody's talking about how I'm getting roasted. I have to think that's valuable from a coaching standpoint. No question. No question Malone is going to use this as a reference point. Look at what Jamal Murray did. Yeah. He, he talked about the second-round series against the Trailblazers and how much that changed his frame of reference. I need to be switchable, one through five. I need to be able to guard on the interior. Um, and, and that manifested in his off-season workouts and how he uh, impacted and how he changed his, his defensive approach. Um, Michael Malone whether he admits it or not, is sitting there crossing his fingers that these games have that same sort of impact on Michael Porter. Because if they do, um, Michael Porter has the potential to be an above-average slash elite defender. He has that in him. It, 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 it takes having those moments that we just talked about where Joe Ingles picked him apart. Those need to be yeah. second nature. You can't be thinking – I got to take it up from 75% to 100%. Totally, that yep. needs to be implicit. Yes. And, if, and that – 
and there's no way you can expect Michael Porter to do that in his first game because he has no uh, comp. Yeah. He hasn't played in a meaningful game in two years. I think he came back for the uh, NCAA tournament um, at, at Mizzou, and he didn't play well defensively there either. Yeah. And I think it was a conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. He didn't play well there. So, you know, they're really, really important moments for Porter. Um a hundred percent. Malone is going to reference this and say, Hey man, uh, remember when you got burned against Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson? Uh, we need you to lock in because that has tangible ramifications for how far we're going to go. It's also Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson. And if you want to win a championship, that's eventually going to be LeBron James. It's going to be Kawhi Leonard. It's going to be Kevin Durant. It's going to be guys a lot better than those players. Um, that's what's interesting. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, let's talk about Jamal Murray. Let's talk about some of the other big takeaways from uh, from game one and even look ahead to game two. We'll be right back. Folks, between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. You want Chinese, your wife wants pizza, maybe your kids want frozen yogurt. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. Continue supporting restaurants in your community right now safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, my favorite, Wendy's, the Cheesecake Factory, Jokic's favorite. Uh, DoorDash delivers. Uh, they're now completely contactless to keep the community we operate in safe. And right now, our listeners get $5 off and zero delivery fees, zero on their first order of $15 or more when you download Door download the DoorDash app on your phone and enter Locked On NBA. That's five dollars off. Use promo code Locked On NBA. Back here on the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, my guest today, Mike Singer, the Denver Post. Um, okay, so what what do you make of Jamal Murray's game? You watched him obviously last year in the playoffs. You watched him all season long. I I'm on record saying that might be the best, at least the best quarter of basketball I've seen Jamal Murray play. The, or the best close of a game I've ever seen from him. I was really impressed, and I've been impressed since he returned from the you know from injury inside the bubble. What, 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 what are your thoughts? What were you thinking about when you watched this? I was thinking that as talented as Nikola Jokic is and, as, uh, and the type of range that Michael Porter Jr. has, when Jamal Murray brings that energy and that attitude, he does things and offers things that nobody else on the Nuggets can offer. In my opinion, he is the emotional touchstone of the team. Mm, and good. I think that they feed off of him. And when he gets going, he had those 12 consecutive points in the second quarter where he was on fire. He had 20 points in the final eight minutes and 31 seconds of yesterday's game from the three minutes and 30 seconds left in the, in the fourth quarter and the five minutes of overtime. He was responsible, scored or assisted for 16 of the 20 points in overtime. What he did as a 23-year-old, not shying from the moment, but craving the yeah. moment, was unbelievable to me. Um, and I think that we maybe take it for granted. I think it's very rare that a player wants to be, wants all of that attention and wants to go toe to toe with a guy who is hanging 57 on your head. Like you have to have a, a, a 
definite certain kind of makeup to want to go toe to toe with a guy who is at that level that Donovan Mitchell was at yesterday. And I, I love that even though he didn't stop him, there were moments when Jamal Murray wanted the defensive assignment on Mitchell. And maybe it was a depth thing, maybe it was a fatigue thing, but Mitchell did not take the defensive assignment on Jamal Murray when he was going back at him. So I think that there is very much like a competitive spirit that comes out of Jamal when he's challenged, when he's tested like that. And obviously Jokic has been their go-to player in the clutch. Um, I think during the eight seeding games, Jokic had 22 points in the three overtimes. Jamal had their next most with seven. Mm-hmm. That's why it was so funny to see it inverted yesterday. And I asked Nicola, uh, you know, how confident are you? How comfortable are you with, with Jamal taking that? And he, you know, he deadpans like, that's not the first time he's ever done that. <laughs> like, this is, that's who he is. Jamal, ha- Jamal yeah, has is an, extra, uh, an extra energy, an extra passion, an extra gear. And, and I really think that, is a new layer, a new uh, wrinkle to the Nuggets that, that yes, it was there last year, but no one else on the team has that fire. Yeah, I think there's no question about the fire and the confidence. The ability, I think, is catching up to some of that confidence. I think he's even maybe had that early on in his career, maybe even before um, before he was ready for it. But to me, the takeaway, or one of my biggest takeaways, especially as I rewatched it, and I rewatched even the the, the the end of it, you know, the, the post-celebration aspect of it, because I always find those things interesting. Nicola and Jamal looking at each other and embracing each other, just kind of running in the emotion. Like you catch players in a moment like that where it's, they let their guard down. I mean, it's just completely like you're seeing them. You're seeing exactly what they're feeling. Those two guys just had the, like the way they, they, they've had this two man game. They've had this connection, but the way that they were both able to go at it and Jamal Murray in particular, step up in this specific game and in this specific moment Jokic just seemed a little extra excited about that. And I thought that was so cool. I was just sort of a like, dude, we did it, but especially you did it. You, you took this moment here and now I just have so much confidence in you. Am I reading too much into this body language or did you see this as well? Now, point of clarification, was it a high five or was it a chest bump? It was, it was like, an, it was so awkward. It was the, it was the thing where it was like, you're so excited. You don't know if you're high fiving, if you're hugging, if you're chest bumping, it was a little bit of everything. I was going to chalk it up to, the fact that they haven't been able to practice their chest bumps because of social distancing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That was, that was my interpretation. It was a very irresponsible it, celebration. Yes. Thank you. Hilarious. So it was to your point, a very raw emotional celebration. Nicola hits the three. The game was pretty much already sealed at that point, but to know that he could trust Jamal to, to know that Jamal was going to get them there, that he didn't necessarily need to carry them in overtime. Like he had over the seeding games, like he has for the past two years um, was what I don't think necessarily relief. I think it was just like shared joy. Yeah. Like I think he knew Jamal had it in him, but it was like, let's, let's celebrate this. Let's embrace this. Like, man, we have something here. Our connection is not, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's not brief. It's not inauthentic. Right. It is, it, it's very genuine. So I loved it. There was a Jamal hit like another three pointer in the overtime period. And um, he, he found like, like PJ Dozier was there at the perfect time, perfect moment. And they just had this like cocked back high five that was just like perfectly synced. Like you'd see it in a movie. And, and I noticed that one too. And so, I mean, listen, there was a lot of, of really good energy and Malone said it before the game, but like that, the, the drama of that game brought it out. Yeah. And like, to your point, it's not often we see um, a, a game or a moment evoke that kind of emotion uh, from both from both Murray and Jokic, and I remember when when Jim, when uh, Nikola hit a game winner 
Uh, I think it was against Philadelphia. I don't remember Jamal Murray acting like that. Yeah. I don't remember the teammates like, you know, flexing and, and finding people to chest bump right. with. Like exactly. they expected that. That was kind of we're re- we're kind of reaching new heights. And touching new territory with where they're at right now. You almost, you know, you never want to overstate it because it is a game, and they could come out and drop the next one, or you know, come up the opposite of clutch, you know, or whatever. But um, it, it did to me just it did feel like a moment because the emotion was was so so raw, and, and just how how they embraced. I just thought that was really it really stood out to me um, when it was happening. Where did the Nuggets go from here? I mean, that was a fantastic game. There were some positives. There were some negatives. Do you feel like Denver in Game Two? you know, is this going to look a lot like game one? Are there going to be some meaningful differences? And just what do you, what are some of your like things you're keeping your eye on in game two? I'm just really curious how they adjust to, to dealing with Donovan Mitchell. Um, Torrey Craig is their starter. He's going to be the primary irritant, going to try to ride Donovan Mitchell's hip. It was interesting hearing Torrey Craig talk today. He said he thought he got into unfair foul trouble against Donovan Mitchell. He thought some of the calls were, a little bit iffy. Yeah. Uh, I think I agree with that. Yeah. I did notice that on some of the calls. And I and Tori's not really a guy who complains a lot. Yeah, yeah. So so I thought it was a little bit interesting when he was going at the referees yesterday. He followed out, I think he only played 17 or 18 minutes. So, you know, how they defend him. I think Michael Malone, I don't know that he goofed yesterday, but I did see a little bit of honesty because in his post-game interview, Michael Malone goes, Torrey Craig is top our, our our depth chart on defending Donovan Mitchell. Jeremy Grant's number two. Now, if Gary Harris was close to returning, Jeremy Grant is not mm-hmm. number two on the depth chart mm-hmm. in guarding Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. So um, make of that what you will. Uh, I think that I don't know what other choice they have. You need to put length on length and the and and Tory Craig and Jeremy Grant both have really long wingspans, really long arms. They're kind of slippery and slinky and can kind of try to navigate around uh, Rudy Gobert's screen assist. But like for anyone who didn't know, like Rudy Gobert has made the screen assist popular. Like he has banged the drum on that. Are you? No, and his people. Uh, no, I, I mean him and his people. I mean it's like the uh, the the Rudy Gobert people pop up every now and then, scream just screen assist, and then they go away. Yeah. So like. If Donovan Mitchell can become a proficient three-point shooter, he – I mean, I don't know what his ceiling is. Donovan Mitchell, I mean, it, basically, it's such a difficult barrier to get around that he creates so much space and he, yeah. he spreads his legs so wide. I'm not saying Jakob Pertl because Jakob right, Pertl right, has right, a history, yeah. but, like, that sort of stature, it's hard to get around that. If he can create that window, not to mention Donovan Mitchell's handles and his, like, step back are – pretty much indefensible and i saw some good defense on it and it didn't matter yeah. like the dude can get his shot off i'm very i, I talked about tory craig i think he's a sneaky huge key to the series he might be the third most important denver nugget player behind murray and Jokic. it just i think he defends him very well um and him not being on the court he knows it um it is so criti- critical let's take another break when we come back a topic i'm very interested in um uh, Talking about the league's ratings, which are plummeting somehow and have have not been great inside the bubble. And I just want to kind of talk about some of that stuff because Mike has a, a national perspective, a non-Denver perspective, being a guy who's kind of been around some different places. So let's take a break. We'll be back. I want to tell you about Built Bar, the title sponsor today. They are even deliciouser than they were before. 18 amazing flavors, six new ones. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. 
and of course the 12 original flavors all that are great salt salted caramel is my favorite one Bar bars are covered in 100% chocolate they're super soft and easy to chew i would say that's the number one feature chewy delicious and chewy they're healthy built bar is great for the health conscious guy lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber great for the keto diet which is my favorite and they've got all kinds of great stuff on them free cooler with purchase while supplies last go to beltbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get ten dollars off your next order use promo code locked on for ten dollars off at beltbar.com also, if you're in Colorado, $1 million is up for grabs in the sportsbetting.com Pro Football Pick'em Contest. Entry is 100% free. I can confirm there are no strings attached because I've entered the contest myself. And all you have to do is make 16 picks against the spread and 16 over-under picks for the NFL week one games. If all your picks are correct, you walk away with $1 million. And check this out. If no one wins the million-dollar grand prize, sportsbetting.com is guaranteeing a $10,000 prize pool to the top five finishers, with first place getting $5,000 cash. Enter the $1 million contest by visiting sportsbetting.com backslash LockedOnNuggets. That's sportsbetting.com backslash locked on nuggets back here on the locked on nuggets podcast with my guest mike singer from the denver post um which you should be subscribed to lots of great covers not just on the nuggets but obviously on the city that we love the city of denver um i wanted to put something in before we move on to the to the sort of the ratings thing Harrison Wynn just shared something that came from the Court Vision podcast, which is from Jameer Nelson, former Denver Nugget. He had Will Barton on, and he said, uh, talking about his injury, he said, definitely banged up right now. The good thing, it should be nothing too serious. I think it just needs rest and the proper treatment and recovery time. No idea what that means. That's like a, that's like a non-answer, you know, when he was asked about how he is. But saying it's nothing too serious, I don't know. I guess there's really nothing to extrapolate from that. <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You say so. Exactly. Um, so the reason I'm bringing this up, the last day or so, Ethan Strauss, one of my, maybe my single favorite sort of personality. I, I really, really like his writing. I really like the way he thinks. Don't always agree with him, but I really like the way he thinks. He writes this article talking, and it, it was really, it talked on a million topics. We're not going to have enough time in this eight-minute segment here. Um, but he talked about a lot of things, including the ratings inside the bubble and the ratings for the NBA. Um, and let me just give you some of the numbers he talked about. Well, the NBA's TV deal expires in 2025. They'd love to work out a new deal before then, of course, because so much of the league's revenues come from their their partnerships with ESPN and TNT and ABC. And, and you know, obviously things are changing for everybody. A number he had in here, ABC's ratings of NBA games are down 45% since 2011-12. Another thing he had in here that the ratings inside the bubble, I think the NBA expected, oh, we're going to have this bubble and it's playoffs and it's intense and all this stuff and everybody's going to be watching. Hasn't exactly been the case so far, at least according to Nielsen ratings. It hasn't, they haven't seen that jolt or that bump. Let me ask you just the first question. This has been a trend that has been discussed for 10 years now. People just... Media is so diverse, so stretched out. People are watching a bunch of different things. Is this something that you as a fan of the NBA and a fan of basketball is concerned about? Man, I wasn't even aware of it. Like, <laughs> really? I, I did not know. I, I, I did not. First of all, he said in that piece that that number had not been published yet. So the 45% decline since 2010, 2011 from ABC, I, I had no idea it was anything close to that. That 
and he had a funny line in there. It said, the NBA has successfully marketed the fact that it is on the ascent while the NFL and Major League Baseball are kind of holding steady, um, right. which is not the perception that I had. I thought baseball uh, viewership interest was waning. Right. According to that, it, it's not. Yep. So a little bit surprised about that. Um, look, there's a million factors that, that are going on. Again, right. he gets into that. Part of the reason I think the ratings are down inside the bubble is um, – because there's back to back to back games. Right. There's tough times for people to watch. Uh, people are still starting to trickle back and go to work. So it's not necessarily accessible to everybody. Um, and I think that people, unlike us who are in the media, uh, don't necessarily have time to sit down for, you know, eight consecutive hours and consume basketball. Right. Um, as opposed to dedicate a Sunday night or, a, a, you know, a, a Wednesday night game or whatever on a national TV uh, broadcast and sit down and see these marquee matchups. Um, so, look, I think the NBA didn't have a choice. Time was an issue. They weren't going to concern themselves with the television ratings and say, are we are we going to generate at least – you know, 1.5 million for every one of these, that cannot be a concern. The concern was the safety yeah. and the time and obviously the money because they included the six extra teams that didn't necessarily need to be in there. Um, so to your question, I did not know it was that stark. I thought the NBA's ratings were somewhat holding water. Um, and to his point, it, it, you know, maybe they need an influx of money. Maybe they need to extend that deal for the, for the safety and health of the league. Uh, I did not know it was that dire, to be honest with you. There's a bunch of things here that I, in my opinion, are going on. But one of them is that if you go and search for Donovan Mitchell's, you know, highlights from last night, you're going to get a, a, something with 100,000 views. You're going to find House of Highlights. And it has 100,000 views. The NBA dominates social media. They dominate YouTube. They dominate Twitter. They dominate all of these different things relative to other sports. And so I and, and I do wonder, this is one of the things Ethan posited in there is, you know, have people been sort of trained inadvertently to care about things that don't necessarily require you to watch the game? It's 82 ga game, uh, games long. Maybe you miss the game, but you come home, you watch the highlights, you see the clips of all the, your favorite shows, you listen to the pot, you do all this different stuff and you feel like you watched it. You maybe didn't need it the way that you don't get that in other sports. It's a great point. And uh, I think the NBA's answer to that would be, uh, whether they're watching or not, um, you know, we want to dominate the social media conversation. Right. You look on Twitter, NBA Twitter is kind of probably the most engaging, the most, um, most discussed and widely right. talked about of all the sports is as NBA Twitter. So I think that would be their answer to that. Does, does Twitter pay the bills? No, it doesn't. So that's why, you know, Ethan's argument does, does raise some serious questions, um, I don't know. You're right. You can kind of consume in a, in a eight minute bit, everything that happened. It's like a longer version of an extended sports center recap. Right. Yeah. Like it it's really all is. there and the NBA doesn't get to benefit, um, from those clips. So, uh, I think I know, you know, where you're going to this it, is the NBA adequately promoting the people that they should be promoting. Is it, right. is it equitably promoting the stars throughout the league. Well, it's not lost on me that the Bucks played their morning game today, that the Nuggets Jazz game went into overtime yesterday and was the What what channel was it on? Oxygen. I think I think the according to Michael Malone is on Oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great line. He's so good with that stuff. 
Um, but 11:30 game against. It's funny because I, I was reading ESPN. I'm reading Bleacher Report. I'm reading all these people and seeing what are their picks. What's the best series? And so many people said, you know, Denver, Utah. That one's going seven. That one's going to be great. Least interested. Nobody's interested in it because the basketball aspect of the NBA is the least important part. It seems often it's it's the stars, it's the storylines that we can extrapolate from the games, not necessarily the games itself. And I th- understand David Stern was obviously this is how he built the league: Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and then ultimately Michael Jordan. These guys were bigger than the sport themselves, and it paid off. But all at some point, I do feel like it eats itself. And I do wonder if people actually enjoy the basketball aspect of a basketball game as much as they need to in order for the league to be able to push it forward. And if not, has the NBA uh, outsourced its promotion to its media partners, to its shoe companies, to its largest endorsers? And now those people hold so much control over what people actually care about that the NBA can't get them to care about the games anymore. I mean... You look at the NFL, people criticize the NFL all the time because you can't see the highlights. It's hard right, to see yeah. the highlights. So that's always like a, the first thing you go to with the NFL. Right. Let me let, let me t- speak into that point. Um, before the hiatus, ESPN's Brian Windhurst was tweeting for about a month. Every single night, he would say, uh, Devin Booker just dropped 65. Right. Uh Something special happens in the NBA. Nikola Jokic had a 30-20-10 against Utah. Right. Uh, something special happens in the NBA. Now, I know Brian a little bit, and in my in my opinion, I think that is him speaking power to truth. I think – is it truth, truth to, to power? power, power? Yeah, it, speaking truth to power. Nailed yeah. it. Nailed it. <laughs> um, I think that that's him speaking truth to power. I think it is him – saying, hey, guys, let's recognize that there are star players everywhere. And if we want to grow the health of the game and not just be contingent on whether LeBron's in a big market, whether Kawhi's in a big market, whether Zion Williamson is healthy, because how many national TV games were were the Pelicans slotted for that then were just shot because Zion missed so much time? I think that was Brian saying, let's acknowledge that there is really – interesting things happening all across the league, specifically in Denver. I get it. Supposedly a flyover basketball state. Does the NBA wish Giannis was maybe not in Milwaukee? Perhaps. But you know what? That's how the league works. You dra- you find someone, you draft someone, you promote someone. Maybe Nikola Jokic could do himself favors if he cared about being marketed at all. Right, yeah, he doesn't. By He's leaning into his, part of that. his personality. Maybe the Nuggets could, yeah. uh, you know, sort of promote him a little bit better. One of my favorite things um, – I had once heard that at a Nuggets media day, Nikola Jokic was asked to smile for the team pictures or or for the personal pictures, and he didn't want to just because he was giving the the photographers a hard time just because that's his nature, which is hilarious. So if if he doesn't lean into it, but to to your bigger point, the NBA may be in a healthier place from a TV rating perspective if they were celebrating the Luka Doncic's of the world, if they were celebrating the Nikola Jokic's and they accepted the fact, you know what, maybe the, the, the Utah Denver series doesn't have the star power of a Damian Lillard of uh, of a LeBron James, but they had all indications that it was going to be a competitive series. All you needed to do was look a week ago when the game went to double overtime and it was riveting. Maybe the best game of the bubble. Nah, 
we're going to put that on the Oxygen Network yeah. because those are two Rocky Mountain matchups that not a lot of people care about. There was about. a post on Reddit a couple months back where somebody said, I always forget that the Jazz and Nuggets aren't the same team. And of course, it got you know got all this traction because everybody was like, I agree. I always think they're the same team or this or that. And I'm thinking, how can this be? We're talking to diehard NBA fans, people that are seeking out NBA content, and this is how they are. And and that brings me to my final point. You know, Ethan got into a lot of, sort of social dynamics and sort of talking about the, the, the repercussions of, the so, of, of some of the social justice uh, movement and the NBA being vocal about a lot of those things. And I don't necessarily want to touch on that, but I do want to touch on one thing that's sort of adjacent to it, which is I feel like sports, and in particular the NBA, mimic the way politics are talked about in this one way. Why do people inside, not along the coast, and especially not along in Northeast and California, feel so disenfranchised by the people in power, it's because they're ignored. They're talked down to. They're talked about as if they don't matter because, quite frankly, they don't to the bottom line. The NBA, I think, operates in much the exact same way. The Nuggets, I think, part of this is they're shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, altitude not having it on TV today. This is the biggest L the Cronkies could have possibly taken this season. You don't have to say anything. I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'll get myself in trouble. It's all good. They got, it's all good. They got the, I mean, they shot themselves in the foot on what should have been an enormous year for the Avalanche and the Nuggets growing their fan base, at, you know, um, like wildfire. But I think also people that tune into SportsCenter and say, ooh, I hear Jokic is good. I want to hear about this guy or this guy. In the way that they talk about those players in these markets – to me, I understand why there's a resentment for the sport and why there's a resentment for the way the sport is covered by the, the, the league's media partners. And to me, it does, it, it, I'm not at all surprised that people say, no thanks, I'm not in on that. So the only thing I would say is, is it possible that it's kind of an echo chamber and that the TNT executives and the ESPN executives, they see the same numbers and the tried and true algorithm is to double down and to show more LeBron. We're screwed. Let's show more LeBron. Let's show more, more Kawhi. We need, we need to get Kemba on TV. We need to get that New York Boston market. Like maybe it's, it's a result of them already struggling. And so them being reticent to try and experiment with different things. I think it's what we've seen sort of in American society for 20 years and that you keep chasing the thing that gets you better and better until you fall off the cliff and then everything falls apart because I think we've seen this. I mean, I don't want to get too, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to pull this, you know, pull this too far and have it burst on us, but I'm just saying there is an element of we need to talk about LeBron because LeBron sells. Then your audience expects more LeBron. So you have to give them even more LeBron, which means you have, that's what your audience expects more. And eventually it's the only thing that you can do to make any money and, once LeBron leaves or once the Lakers don't make the playoffs or whatever happens, now you're so dependent on them that they become too big to fail, which is what I think the NBA has, has become. I feel like an NBA, as an NBA consumer, I feel like Pavlov's dog. I feel like I've been conditioned <laughs> yeah, to sure. know what to expect every yeah, single totally. night. These are the breakdowns I'm going to get. These are the people they're going to promote. And Frankly, those part league partners probably do themselves no favors in the long run. But in the short term, specifically, if these numbers are as they say they are, or as Ethan says they are, I, you know, I, I can understand where they're coming from. I don't think that it's necessarily the right call. Um, but to your point, it, it is the reality. I get how people in the middle states, I, I lived in the Midwest right. pretty much my whole life before moving to Denver, feel marginalized. Uh, although that was a weird one because the Bulls are kind of a huge market 
within they're they're the, along you know, the Midwest. They're along they're kind the of a coastal for a team. long time. They're a coastal team that but, doesn't have a coast though. That's the yeah. I think they call it the I think it's called the third the coast. Third coast. There you um, go. but like, listen to 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 bring it home. If you are the Nuggets and you realize the trajectory that they seem like they're currently on in the next three to four years, there's going to have to be an about face. There's yeah. going to have to be an acknowledgement. Frankly, I think I can count on my hand three to four games this entire season where there was an ESPN reporter at the game. Right, right. I yeah, swear yeah, to yeah, God. Yeah. I think I can – like a, an actual writer, not, not being broadcast on ESPN. It doesn't happen that often. And one, one change that I noticed very recently was it was one of the seeding games, and they were promoted. It was um, the L.A. Lakers game. ESPN chose to promote the Lakers game with Michael Porter Jr. versus right. LeBron yeah, yeah. as opposed yeah. to Nicola or Jamal versus LeBron. And on ESPN's power rankings, they had Michael Porter, a picture of Michael Porter Jr. Right. Like the transition slowly happening. Yeah. And Porter definitely has a little bit more star power than some of the other Nuggets guys. But, you know, it, is that really, to your point, should that be – is star power a defining factor or should we be more concerned with the quality the substance of basketball and how much fun the nuggets are to watch because i think that is a, a universal opinion that they are an entertaining team regardless of quote-unquote star power yeah. a little of this is human nature and just how the markets work and some of this i do think is that you have a responsibility as a league but um i i you're a thoughtful person so i had you on and i brought you into the murkiest part of this so i appreciate you being a good, good. sport and and indulging me on that. Um, he's Mike Singer. You guys read him at the Denver Post, doing a fantastic job uh, covering this team. Uh, and everybody else, we're going to be back again tomorrow. Can't wait. Game two. Back with Matt Moore. Recapping that one. All the details. I'm excited. We'll talk to you then. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.